0: All right, we're going to start a um, new series uh, this afternoon, a new teaching series. I've been hearing more, uh, kind of a growing sentiment that I hear from people and feel it some myself. It goes something like this. I think the world is going crazy. What is going on? The world is changing. I read an article recently from Carl Truman. He wrote this just a a, a few days ago. The title of the article is Blasphemy Then and Now. And he is putting his finger on a particular area that has changed in our recent history. Now, Carl Truman grew up in England, and he grew up shaped by the wit and humor of Monty Python. And he enjoyed uh, the TV show, the, the movies, and so forth. And recently, John Cleese, one of the film stars, decided to work on a stage adaptation of the movie, The Life of Brian. And he got a little pushback on it. Now, here's, here's the background, and here's the point of his article. There was something about the movie, Life of Brian, that was blasphemous, some 40-plus years ago. Apparently, the movie is a little bit of a compare-contrast between this average guy named Brian and Jesus. And at one point, Brian is on the cross, dying on the cross, and is singing something like Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. It was supposed to be sort of a spoof, a little jab at religion. And, of course, the Christian community pushed back and had some objection because that was... Blasphemous. You had just taken something that is sacred and turned it into something of a joke or a, or a mockery. There was also something else in that film that was not meant uh, to imply anything sacred. Uh, there was a guy named Stan who stood up and said, and I am a woman and I demand to have a baby. This was meant as a joke. This was supposed to be completely absurd. In the movie 40 years ago, the religious community pushed back and said, that's blasphemous. You took something sacred and you, in a sense, desecrated it. Now, as he's trying to remake the stage adaptation of it, he's getting a lot of pushback about the scene with Stan, because now that is blasphemous. Now you've crossed the line. Now you've stepped into an area that is sacred. In the article, let me see if I have the the right quote here. Now it is controversial because it mocks, oh, well, let me go back. The original movie was controversial because it mocked the God-man, the central truth of the Christian faith. Now it is controversial because it mocks the man-God the central truth of our contemporary world. Old-style blasphemy involved desecrating God because it was God who was sacred. Today's blasphemy involves suggesting that man is not all-powerful, that he cannot create himself in any way he chooses, that he is subject to the limits beyond his choice and beyond his control. His point is simply, what was blasphemous then is not today, because the sacred has changed and this is just one of the ways where i hear this sentiment and you feel it many of you do is the world simply going crazy what is going on in the world that we live in but if we're not careful it will make the church crazy as well If we don't know how to respond, if we're not prepared for what's happening around us. Now, we can lose ourselves through confusion, adaptation, compromises. We can also lose ourselves if our responses are less than Christ-like and more like the ones who even oppose Christianity. The series, the summer series that I want us to start this afternoon is in Psalm 119. It is meant and designed to establish our hearts deeply for this and more. It's to have us prepared. So it's not a sermon series on how to deal with the culture, how to respond to strange things that are happening in the culture. It's about our hearts before the Lord and deepening our relationship with the Lord in and through his word. We're planning to spend the entire summer in Psalm 119. That's right, one psalm all summer long. Probably about a dozen Sundays, give or take, in one psalm. It's a psalm that's designed to anchor our soul in the Lord by way of the word of the Lord, and that's what we're after. It's a psalm written by someone who has been captured heart and soul by everything God says, by the God who has spoken words and it shows us what it looks like when someone is amazed at what God has said. The hope in the series at that is that this song becomes your song. That you, eventually, in time, can actually be a singer of this song. Meaning it's really gotten inside your soul, inside your heart. You don't just know it been memorized, parts of it, I mean, you can sing it because it's in there. Now, all of us currently have a song in our heart about God's word. We're singing something, whether we want to acknowledge it uh, or not. And so maybe we could just poke the question, what song are you currently singing about God and his word? The psalmist over and over again is singing, Oh Lord, I love your words. It's possible that some of us here this afternoon are singing a slightly different song, O oh Lord, I know I ought to love your word, but to be honest, not so much. Oh Lord, my song is I know I should read your word. But I struggle to do so. Maybe your song is, I'm not so convinced that your word is what I need. Maybe that's your song that you're singing. Maybe it's, I'm not so sure I can trust your word. Lord, I'm not so sure that your word fits with what I need and what I'm going through. I know you're saying something, I'm not sure that it's what I need. To hear maybe your song is oh lord i read my bible and i don't really get it so i'm struggling to keep reading it by god's grace i hope in the weeks to come that our hearts will be moving all in the same direction toward an outcry of faith that says oh lord i find my delight in your commandments that that would be a song in our hearts that we could sing i want to start off by just giving you some facts about psalm 119 so this is sort of the first point some things about psalm 119 number one it's long it's really long It's a very long psalm. It's the longest psalm. It has 176 verses in it. It's by far the longest. In fact, it's as long as several other entire books of the Bible, Ruth, Philippians, and James. I don't know. I often used a, a reading plan to read through the psalms and proverbs in a month's time. And so the plan goes something like this. Take the day of the month, whatever number that is, and read that psalm, add 30 to it, and read that psalm, add 30 to it, and then read that psalm, and so you read five psalms every day. If you've ever done that, you know what happens on the 29th. The 29th lands you on Psalm 119, so you might as well take half a day off of work or something because you got a long devotional time. you got a lot of reading to do. It's a long one. Secondly, it feels repetitive. It pounds on one theme and it seems to say the same thing over and over again. And if you're in a hurry, if you're trying to speed read Psalm 119, if you're, if you're not willing to take the time, you'll get Psalm 119 is about the Bible. It's flooded with eight synonyms about God's Word and they show up constantly making it feel a bit redundant we'll look at each of those words in just a couple minutes in my life i've had the opportunity to make a few cross-country road trips and i have a distinct memory of driving through nebraska nebraska takes about seven hours to drive from one end to the other and if you're just passing through it's long and it's boring Now, I don't doubt Nebraska is a beautiful state, and there's many beautiful things to see in Nebraska. But if you're just driving through, the idea is um, whatever you see in the first five minutes of your drive through Nebraska, you will see for the next seven hours. And so there's a sense of, okay, I already got it. I get it. I get what this state is all about. I don't need to look at it for seven hours. And sometimes we can charge into Psalm 119 with that kind of a mentality. I've heard this. I've heard it. It's the same. The 10th the, the, the verse sounds like the first verse, and the 100th verse sounds like the 50th verse. And so it, it feels sometimes like a drive through Nebraska. Our hope is to turn Psalm 119 from a drive through Nebraska to a drive through Big Sur. There's so much there. For us to observe, to have, to grasp, to dig into. And so by God's grace, we'll we'll be finding that that beauty and that treasure that's in this very long psalm. Another point is it's a it's a highly structured acrostic poem. Some of you may have known this. I'm not sure if everybody knows this, but there's like twenty-two stanzas, and each stanza represents a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So For example, the first eight verses, Aleph is the first letter in the Hebrew, kind of our A. And so, eight verses of the first stanza, each verse actually starts with Aleph, an A. And so, this is a highly structured acrostic poem. And then it goes A, then B, C, D, and so forth through the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And each stanza is eight verses long, and each verse, each of those eight verses start with the letter that represents that stanza. So, it's a very thoughtful poem put together for us. So, you can imagine if you could read Hebrew, that this would be very meaningful, and it would stand out to you. In fact, it would make it a a wonderful thing for a child to learn and a scholar to learn. I mean, fascinating from from the From the lowest to the highest uh, intellect, you could look at this and see the beauty and see some of the amazement of it. But of course, when you translate things into another language, okay, now we're reading it in English, it's all gone. You'd have no idea that that's actually what's taking place in here. And that could lead us to losing interest or to think less of it than what it actually is when we read it in English. Fourthly, it's about God's Word. It's about being devoted to God's Word. It's about how someone feels about God's Word. Now, this, in and of itself, has the potential of stirring up more burden than delight. I don't know if you've sensed this, if you've ever spent any time in Psalm 119, but it it certainly can stir up in our hearts uh, if you're at all inclined towards a sort of performative kind of living, that you read Psalm 119 and you begin to think, oh, I don't love my Bible as much as I should. I don't read my Bible as much as I should. And so this psalm kind of lands on you with a sense of burden, and all of a sudden you start feeling like, okay, you are being measured by your Bible reading. Have you ever felt that way as a Christian? Do you think of your Christianity as like you are evaluated? You are on a, a grading scale of your Christianity, and it depends on your Bible reading plan and how faithfully you read your Bible. Well, if you're not reading the Bible through once in a year, I don't even know what you're doing here. And if you're not doing it faithfully and hitting it seven out of seven days each week, it, it is easy to read this psalm and, be, and begin to sort of miss the point and fall into the trap of thinking Christianity is summed up, and I am being evaluated by some particular spiritual discipline of Bible reading. I can assure you this is the furthest thing from the author's intent, and not at all what's on God's heart. We want to look at this and hear the outcry of faith of a person who has become so enraptured and enamored with the things that god has said and that's the kind of heart that we want to capture and lay hold of and see the spirit of god develop inside of us the last point as far as things that i want to share this afternoon about psalm 119 it's like it's filled with some really great nuggets of treasure there's some wonderful verses that are great to put to memory. Verse 11 I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's useful. That's good to call that one up and live in that. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I've prayed that. I've started off my Bible reading, devotional times, praying. Verse 18. Dozens, if not hundreds of times, open up my bow, Oh, Lord, here's my prayer. Open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your law. Verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. These are treasures for the Christian and treasures for the Christian life. Well, let's look at Psalm 119. Let's read together the first eight verses, and I'll spend just a few minutes on that sort of what is sort of the introduction of Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verses 1 through 8, I'm going to read it, It should be up on the monitor as well. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You've commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Verses one through three are sort of the foundation of the entire psalm. And so the point, which would be point number two, is the blessed way. Verses one through three lay out, blessed are those whose way, talking about the blessed way. It essentially states that the true way of blessing is to walk in the ways of the Lord. Now, the word blessing or blessed or bless in, in the scripture has, a, has a, a, a wonderful meaning to it. And, and you and I tend to use the word for all kinds of things. Generally, we like to use it when things go our way. I'm blessed. Something went my way. You got Accepted into the right school, you got the right job, you got a tax retor- return, you avoided a near miss on the freeway, and we're blessed. It's a blessing. It's God's blessing in my life. But having physical needs met is, is quite a bit short of the Bible's use of this word. Blessed in the scriptures is a term that describes being truly satisfied, in your soul. One that is at peace with God, with themselves, and with the world that they live in. It certainly means to be truly happy, entirely satisfied, for you to be at peace in every way. And, and this blessedness that the scriptures talk about is talking about a sort of holistic, you are in a good place in your soul. There's a kind of deep happiness, genuine happiness, not a not a temporal, this went right and so I feel good, but it's like a a satisfied soul that is at rest with the Lord. To experience a need and for the Lord to meet that need satisfies in a unique way, and that is to be truly blessed. Lacking health but satisfied by the Lord is to be blessed The word blessed in the New Testament does not connect any material blessing to it. You could easier come to the conclusion from reading the Bible and studying the Bible that the term actually requires some need in order for it to be known. Almost as if you need to need something and to have God satisfy you in order to know what it means to truly be blessed. It's a bit of a simple formula. Our need drives us to the Lord. Our Lord satisfies us, and that equals blessed. But the psalmist is talking about a blessed way. A way, a walk, a lifestyle, a journey of blessedness. Now, we know New Testament teaching, and if you're familiar with Christianity, and you've been in church for a while, and you've read your Bible, that we are blessed because we are in Christ. That is our ultimate blessing that we know, to have a standing in Christ. And we think in terms of our justification, which is about a status that we're given before God. Through Christ's righteousness, not our own. It is bestowed upon us, given to us as a gift from God, our justification, a new name, a new status, a declaration over who we are, and that is our status. And we understand that, really, all the blessings of God are are there for us in Christ. But this psalmist is talking about that and beyond. It's a blessed way. It's a blessed walk. It's a blessed life. It's the, it's the outworking and the fulfillment of that blessing of status. He wants us to move beyond the status. It's the status plus the life. Think of a wedding and a marriage. You get married you say, I do. You stand before preacher and witnesses, and you say, I do. And you are pronounced husband and wife. At that moment, your status is changed and assigned. It's fixed. But that's not the end of the marriage. It's the beginning. And when we think of marriage, we don't just think of being married and having that status and having a wedding. It's not the sum total is not the wedding. The real joy is the enjoyment of each other together and the life that you live together thereafter. And so when the psalmist is writing about the blessed way, he's talking about the the ongoing marriage, not just the wedding. It's more than that. It's not less than that. You have, you have no marriage without the wedding. It's the, the wedding becomes sort of the, the source and the starting point and the fuel and the status that declares it that launches you into the marriage. And the psalmist, the writer of Psalm 119, is talking about this blessed way. Marriage, life, walk, living. But it says something tricky about who who can have this. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. Oh, guess that counts me out. Oh, don't laugh. You too. Counts you out too. Okay. Who's blameless here? And immediately with, okay, okay. Jesus is blameless. Yes. Yes, he is. He's the only one. But understand this. The Bible does make a distinction between being sinless and being blameless. Job was said to be blameless. Blameless and upright. But Job was not sinless. Abraham was said to have kept the Lord's commandments, but Abraham was not sinless. David was referred to by Solomon as someone who walked in the Lord's ways, keeping his statutes and commandments, but David was not sinless. To be blameless is to live life with one wholehearted direction in the ways of the Lord. It may well be, will be, a life filled with stumblings, fallings, setbacks, but the blameless life then also includes confession and repentance and restoration. So the Bible is using a term here not to try and say, um, you can have no blessing unless you're perfect, although we do understand our gospel message. We ultimately cannot have this blessing. We cannot step into Christ except that he was perfect, and he gave us his perfection. And so we stand in his reputation, in his record, in the life that he lived. But the psalmist here is also talking to us and talking about being blameless, not in the sense of being sinless, but in the sense of being, I'm coming to the place, I'm growing to the place where I am wholeheartedly moving in the same direction, the ways of the Lord. The way of the Lord is to walk in the law of the Lord. Now, here's one of eight synonyms for word that we will come across often in this psalm. The first one for word is the law or Torah. it's the Torah, it's the most common of the eight, it refers to all the words that God gave to instruct and to teach. The particular emphasis with this term is in God's authority. Well, we might use the phrase, it's the law. What do you mean when you say it's the law? I mean, there's authority behind this statement. It's unchanging, There's, there's authority, you obey the law because it's the law. And that's what this first word is really communicating. Then there's testimonies. Testimonies is a word used in order to bear witness of something or someone. God speaks these words in order to testify for or against something. It's just another nuance of the things that comes out of God's mouth that he gives to us in the scripture. He gives us laws. He gives us testimonies. He gives us precepts. A precept is a word from the Lord that gives detailed, practical instruction about how faith is expressed and carried out also gives us statutes. We'll come across that word as well. This word captures the idea that what God says is written down and will forever stand firm. A statute is fixed and will not change. Then we have commandments. God is speaking again with authority, stating how something is to be done or not done. It is a command. God is stating it, and it is fixed. There are judgments. Another word used, God's words that state his assessment of something, is when God's words are his ruling, his verdict, they are his judgments. This is how he assesses the situation. He gives his judgment. And the word word is everything that God has spoken about, all his words. We are called to keep all of God's words. Now, there are commandments, do this. So, thou shalt not commit adultery. How do you keep that word? Okay, you do not commit adultery. That's how you keep that word. But we are to keep, in a sense, all of God's words. How do you keep Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, God created everything. How do you keep that? You keep that by, by believing and knowing and the implications of God created everything, and I live in his creation as part of his creation. I am not the creator. There's no man God here. And so we keep Genesis 1-1 by living in that awareness and that acknowledgement and that belief that he's the God who created everything, and I am part of his creation. The last of the eight is promise. When God speaks words of assurance about the future, it could be destruction, it could be glory, but he is telling you what will be. It is a promise. All these are synonyms. You could, you could see how somewhat interchangeable they are. They're all talking about things that God has said, all that God has said. But each one has a little bit different nuance, a little bit different facet of the whole and, and brings light from a to a, a different angle and a different side. And it is all together about God's word. But the third point is that when we get past verse 3, we move from doctrine to prayer. Something changes in verse 4. So, Verses 1 through 3 talk in a certain voice, use certain pronouns, but when we get to verse 4, the pronouns change. I'm to ask you a simple question: okay, what is Psalm 119 all about? And it's a wonderful article from David Powelson called the Suffering in Psalm 19. I've got much of this material from that article. Very helpful. And he acknowledges the fact that when we think about Psalm 119, we think, about, okay, read your Bible. It's about reading the Bible. It's about knowing the Bible, loving the Bible, and all this. And he says, well, let's just ask you a question. What, what, what words are most frequent in Psalm 119? If I were to ask you that question, maybe immediately what would come to, come to mind is God's word. You know, eight different versions of, of word. But Powelson pointed out something very interesting about the vocabulary of Psalm 119. The most frequently used words are the personal pronouns. I, me, my, mine, you, your, yours. Those words actually outnumber the word words four to one. Four to one. This is a passionate prayer. Paulson writes, so Psalm 119 is actually not about the topic of getting Scripture into your life. Instead, it is the honest words that erupt when what God says gets into you. It's not an exhortation to Bible study. It's an outcry of faith. It's the outcry of a heart that feels its own need and knows where to go to be truly satisfied. Pallison calls it the most extensive I to you conversation in the Bible. The I to you conversation, the most extensive I to you conversation in the Bible. I think Psalm 119 is going to help teach us how to pray, how to talk to God. We're all familiar with self talk. You know about self talk? What you say to yourself you're the person talking you're the person in listening self-talk and so well here's the culture that we live in this is how we help one another what are you saying to yourself and what are you saying to yourself that does that help you does that hurt you what, what is the self-talk that's going on do you tell yourself how good and valuable you are or how filled with faults and shortcomings and worthless you are. Well, let's reconstruct your self-talk. Let's change what you're telling yourself so that you can change because the things you're telling yourself might be harming you, hurting you, disillusioning you. And so what we need to do is figure out what your self-talk is, tweak it, change it, make it better so that you will then be better, feel better. That's what Powelson says, but Psalm 119 gets us out of the monologue business entirely. I love that phrase. Psalm 119 gets us out of the monologue business entirely. It gets you talking with the person whose opinion finally matters. You know why it's so commonly understood that therapy is so helpful and so good? And you know why we keep talking in the church about how important community is? Because self-talk is a dangerous little isolated room that we get stuck in. But once you start saying things out loud for others to hear, your self-talk gets exposed. Your ideas, you hear yourself say these ideas. Psalm 119 is saying, okay, Let's stop with the monologue business. Just just time out with all your monologuing about who you are and what you think about yourself, and let's get you into God's presence. And now start talking. I know you all know. You got things going on in your mind. You say things to yourself. You got you got dialogues going. You got monologues going inside your head. But once you start talking with somebody face to face and you start sharing and you start communicating and you get in somebody else's presence and these things start coming out of your mouth, it's a whole different world, isn't it? Now you have to face yourself and come to terms with the realities of what's been swirling around in your mind. Somebody else can observe it now. You observe it in a different way because now you're hearing what's been just going around in your mind before i think about this and i think god is so amazingly wise come talk to me he says unburden your heart tell me honestly what's going on i'm learning I'm embarrassed to say i'm embarrassed as how much i need to learn about prayer but i'm i'm learning about being honest with god and i'm realizing how much of my prayer life was under the guise of, I better clean myself up so that I can talk right to God. Because when I go to God in prayer, I better say right things. In fact, maybe I should just quote scripture. Uh, Maybe I shouldn't say anything that I'm thinking. I, I mean, I'm in God's presence. I should be good in God's presence. I should put on my Sunday best. I should say the right things. I should think about articulating things well. And and I'm realizing how wrong that is and how useless and how much I'm actually avoiding the very thing that I need. I need to talk to the Lord about what's really going on, about what I'm really struggling with, even if it's embarrassing, even if I would rather not have to say it out loud, but when I say it out loud, in god 's presence, now it 's in the light. The pattern I used to have, you realize um, as if I was fooling God as if he didn't know what was really going on, because when I got in His presence, I cleaned it all up, sharpened it all up, and presented to him. What I thought he wanted to see in me so that he would like me. How foolish, huh? How completely foolish. He knows. No surprises. But when we unburden our hearts and we lay our souls before the Lord honestly with him, oh, he's there. He's there the wise counselor to listen, to know, to bring to light. Okay, somehow the person who wrote Psalm 119 has gone through this process and come around and through to a point where he says, I so love the ways of the Lord of all the foolish things that have been running through my head that I lay at the Lord and I lay it at the Lord in his presence and his wisdom and he speaks and all of a sudden I see how wise he is I see how gracious he is oh how I love the commandments the statutes the precepts all together everything that has come out of God's mouth it's just it's so healing and it's so helpful and it's so wise and Oh, to be truly blessed is to be in the way of the things that God has said, to walk in the wisdom of his words. Nothing, nothing satisfies my soul like that. There is no other way. There's many ways to be happy, many ways to be satisfied for a time to, to, to an extent, but this psalmist has come through enough of life to be able to say to us, I've come to realize that nothing compares with the kind of satisfaction of soul that comes with walking, living in God's ways. The testimonies about God working in people's lives that I love hearing that are so encouraging is when I see many of you you come to community group, you share testimony, you let us know what's going on. You were struggling, there was a need, and you opened up your Bible and you listened, you opened up your ears to hear what God has to say And you found the glory and the satisfaction of God's word coming into your heart and bringing that blessing, that blessedness, and a a satisfaction settles into your life. And you just say, God met me through his word. God's spirit through his word spoke to my heart and it is well with my soul. That is true beauty through and through. It's glorious. Okay, so how are we as Christians to respond to a world that's going crazy? Alan Ross is one of the commentators that I have for the Psalms, and he summarizes the entirety of Psalm 119 like this. Finding himself in persecution from powerful people who ridicule his faith in an effort to shame him into abandoning it, the psalmist strengthens himself by his detailed meditations on the word of the Lord, which is his comfort, his prized possession, his rule of life, his resource for strength, his message of hope, all of which inspire him to desire it even more, to live by it, and to pray for its fulfillment. That's where I want us to go, to realize the treasure that's in this psalm and finding everything from the Lord and of the Lord in the words that he's revealed and given to us This psalmist knows something true and extremely important that the way of blessing is to walk in the way of the Lord. And no other way can match it or outlast it. Worship team, you can come on up. I owed you a short sermon. Could we just pray, though, as they're coming up and getting settled, would you, could I pray, and could we pray together when we begin a series, you know, and I'm thinking about, okay, God, what what does this text intend to accomplish in us? And so I pray along those lines, and I feel like it's gotten a hold of my heart, and there's there's a handle on it. And I thought, as we just, this is week one, we'll go maybe a dozen weeks, but could we pray together and posture our hearts to receive open up our hearts to say oh lord that what's going on in that psalm writer's heart is what i want and i'm going to seek you till i get it father do 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 that by your spirit lord a, a fresh hunger for your word uh, a a deeper and a ever deepening love for it that we would find, Lord, your great wisdom and love and power in and through your words, that we would treasure them, hold on to them, rely upon them, and 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 see the, the glory of just walking in them. Though we stumble, though we fail, though there's waywardness in our hearts, oh Lord, bring us back and, and, and keep us, Lord, in that single-hearted, one-direction path of knowing you, knowing your words, walking in your ways. Lord, as we talk in the weeks to come, there's going to be people that don't desire that, don't long for that. Oh, God, your Spirit can bring life where there is no life, and we pray that you do that. Waken up. Rise, Lord, from the dead hearts that don't know you. And for many of us, Lord, whose hearts may have grown cold, grown distant, dusty Bibles, unread, because the faith for finding you and knowing you and the glory and the blessing that comes through it is not there. Stir up in us a fresh desire. Fill our hearts with faith and lead us in the weeks to come to be people like this psalmist who cherish, love, absorb, run to, look to, appreciate all the words that you have spoken all for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.